this is a very challenging time. And so I think that we have to make the most out of every day. We have to, you know, look for the good in every day. We have to enjoy the opportunities that we have. And I think we have to be really creative. I think that's the takeaway that I think most of us will say from a business perspective, we got really creative. This is Pittsburgh a place where a rich heritage of making things and a fierce independent nature come together to create a thriving entrepreneurial community. Whether you're a small business owner looking for ideas or inspiration, or you're an enthusiastic supporter of local businesses, you'll find it here. I'm your host, Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Today, my guest is Christina Dickerson. She's the owner of Dickerson Creative Communications. Christina, thank you so much for being on the show today. Darren, thank you so much. I'm excited. Yeah, so for those that are not familiar or as familiar with your company, could you talk a little bit about Dickerson Creative Communications? What are some of the services that you offer? What are some of the main lines of business or main focus areas of your business? And then also, could you tell us a little bit about who your target is? client is either in total or for specific lines of business? Absolutely. So we are a media and marketing company, which means digital marketing, social media campaigns, media relations, grassroots and public relations even. And then there is, of course, one component of the business that is the event planning part of the business. But typically, you know, it's interesting. I think this is one of the reasons that I love what I do so much is because we can work with so many different people. What I love is telling somebody's story because everybody has a story. I think that every brand has a story and every entrepreneur has a story. So telling the story through marketing is something that I think is such a you know beautiful thing because it personalizes what they're doing. So we work with financial wealth advisors, we work with nonprofits, we have worked with celebrities and NFL players. Um, So the variety is what keeps everything fresh. I mean, in the morning, I could be working on financial wealth advisors and all of their social media. And in the afternoon, we may be in event planning mode, working for a Hall of Fame event. So it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Could you tell us a little bit about the event planning space? Historically, what have been some of the the big marquee events that you've done here, in the, especially in the Pittsburgh area that people may be familiar with? Or you'd mentioned that you had worked with NFL players and other celebrities. What are some of the big events that either made a difference because they were nonprofit or they were just sort of large marquee events? Absolutely. So the longest lasting event that we do is an event called Savor Pittsburgh, which is a culinary competition that has taken place, obviously, in the Pittsburgh market, showcasing restaurants from all over our region. And for the past nine years, this event has benefited McGee Women's Research Institute and Foundation. So women's health, research, infant health research. We have been able to help fund the NICU webcams at the hospital so that we've been able to do so many great things with that particular event that over the years, that event has raised millions for the community. Also, you know, some of the prestigious events include, um, we did a wonderful event 
for the first tee of Pittsburgh. And we were able to work with former President George W. Bush, which was such an honor and incredible experience. We have conducted Hall of Fame events in Canton, Ohio for former Steelers and including Kevin Green and Jerome Bettis. Um, so, you know, again, it's like it's the variety and that's what keeps us keeps us excited on a daily basis about what we do. I'm so glad that you brought up Saver Pittsburgh because that's an event that I wanted to talk about. That's one of your really lead events because you were an original co-founder, I believe, of that event. Could you tell us a little bit about what year that started and what was the original vision for Saver Pittsburgh and how has that vision grown and changed and really broadened over the years? Because I'm sure you are doing things with it now that weren't there when you'd first started. So can you tell us a little bit about the evolution of Saver Pittsburgh? Absolutely. So it's been a an event that, again, 15 years ago, we saw that this city of Pittsburgh was on the brink of a foodie revolution. And I had the privilege of working with McCormick and Schmick Seafood and Steaks Restaurants. They were um, one of my clients on a regional basis. And the Pittsburgh team here, Michelle and Ricky Kersop, they were the duo, the team here in um, the Pittsburgh market. And we started this event together with Southside Works at the time. And we stayed at Southside Works for eight years. And then we moved over to Stage AE. And then we went to the Peterson Events Center. And this year we were supposed to be at Nova Place. But really this event started as a way of us being able to do good, create a fun party for everyone. Because again, we were watching our food scene in Pittsburgh explode. And over the years, what we've seen is that Pittsburgh receives national attention because of our foodie industry. And we started to see chefs come in from Philadelphia, from Chicago, from LA, who were coming here and starting their restaurants. And again, I think this is one of the things that makes Pittsburgh such a phenomenal city and such a livable city is the restaurant scene and the restaurant community. Obviously right now, our hearts break for our restaurant community because it feels like on a weekly basis, we are seeing friends close their doors. Restaurants that we've worked with because of the pandemic. So obviously we have postponed Saver Pittsburgh until 2021. We felt like that was without a doubt something we had to do because this event typically hosts about 1,500 people in attendance. But also we wanted to pivot the event to basically do other types of partnerships that would raise money and awareness for McGee Women's Research Institute. So we have created some really great partnerships to help build awareness and keep our the momentum alive for SAVER because what I didn't want to see our team do is basically throw up our hands and say, well, we're not doing the event, so we're not going to do anything. That's not the way I want to operate. I want to operate in a manner of, okay, we can't do the event, but what can we do? I think that's how all of us are, quote, pivoting right now. And that's how every small business and large business needs to look at our life. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the foodie scene here back when Savers started because I think it's amazing too. I, I grew up an hour west of Pittsburgh, so I'm familiar with the area. I grew up coming here and I went to, to the University of Pittsburgh, 
back in the 90s. But then I was gone for 18 years before I came back and I, I lived all over the Midwest, Cincinnati, Detroit, Indianapolis. And I have to say that for a Midwest city, certainly in this region of the country, I mean, the foods, I don't know what the people that are from Pittsburgh think that are here and they experience it every day, whether they take it for granted. But I think the diversity of restaurants here is amazing. And I think that just the variety of cuisine and all of the different types of cuisine, and there's just so much variety compared to some of the places I've lived, other comparable cities. So I could see why you were inspired to create the event based on, on that. And yeah, I mean, our heart does break for all of the all of the small business owners out there and, and especially the the restaurants and bars because they really are social gathering spaces in the community and they serve more than food and drink. They really serve connection and community and being together and they serve a different role. So they're really being impacted to a large degree. And you had mentioned how you're pivoting with your event, Saver Pittsburgh. What else are you seeing? I would imagine just, we're seeing a, a total halt across the board with events because we just can't gather. What are you seeing in the event planning industry and space right now? And also what needs to happen for it to come back? Wow. You know, <laughs> I think it's going to be, unfortunately, a long road for the event industry. I think that we have to continue to make do with what we don't know. We don't know what next year is going to look like. We don't know how this pandemic is going to go away or how we're going to learn to live within the perimeters that we're given. And I think that that's what we're all basically rebuilding um, from an event perspective where I'm lucky is that I have the media and marketing business. I have so many friends in the industry who are solely event planners and who are solely wedding planners and they own the rental companies. So all of the tents, the chairs, the everything. And it's been challenging because you know, sometimes you're just at a loss for words. What do you say to somebody who's watching everything they have built and everything that they've dedicated basically start to crumble? Now, again, I think that most people are learning to rebuild and work within the parameters that were given. So it's the more intimate gatherings. It's the social aspects. Maybe it's going to be more outdoor for a while. But I think when we talk about a, an event for 1,500 people, I don't know if that's going to be in 2021. And so I think that, you know, we may have to do something that's at 500 people. Obviously, what we want to do is we want to be respectful. We want to be working within all of the boundaries and we want to be, we want people to be safe and comfortable. So what I can tell you is that any event that, you know, we look at for the future, those are going to be things that are going to be key protocol and also, um, <laughs> we've learned to have backup plans now better than ever. I think there's a good argument there for diversification of a business, as you just mentioned. I mean, you're fortunate in that you sort of have these three or so, three or more really focal points, media relations, marketing, and event planning. And of course, that can be dissected further into some of the other services that you offer. But having those other services really allow you to be diversified and not be so just focused on event planning because those folks out there that are just doing solely event planning are really suffering. They're probably figuring out how to pivot their business or morph their business 
And um, when you created your business, you probably didn't, maybe no one was thinking about this result, but were you thinking that you wanted to have some diversification just so that all of your eggs weren't in one basket? Or did you just have a specialty? Because I know you have a, a, a varied background. Did you just have a specialty in these different areas, media relations because of your background in television, marketing, because that's something that you also did when you did your own branding and your own promoting. And then event planning was something that came natural to you. Did, did these just sort of evolve or did you have more of a, an organized thought process of, I really want to diversify my business? Yeah, absolutely. I think, Darren, that's an excellent question. And especially I want to make a couple of points because especially for anybody who's starting a small business, I think that we you know, looking back and I've, I've had, I've been fortunate enough to have my business for 15 years, but when I started my business, it was all media relations and marketing, working with clients. So how they tie in really nicely together, typically. And over the last 15 years, media and marketing has changed drastically. You know this. And so social media started happening and and people were first it started with Facebook then people started to look into Instagram and and LinkedIn became such a hot and and LinkedIn I think is I would tell anybody be active on LinkedIn any professional that is a very um that is a key demographic um where you really need to be active and involved and so all of these things started to happen where the media relations side started to change as well. And I had to evolve. I had to look at new opportunities. I actually did a digital marketing certification through Columbia Business School because my specialty is more television. It was more radio. It was spokesperson work. It was and I knew that if I wanted to continue to evolve my business and my offerings to clients, I had to make that investment of time and money to be able to know that I could be at the top of the game. So that's something very important to me. And I think that as business owners, we have to continuously learn and we have to stay educated on where the trends are going. So the the event part of it, when I started my company, that was definitely not um, a component of the business that I expected, but it grew beautifully. And I have a great team of people um, who I have the great fortune of working with for many years. And we just, events are something that we absolutely love to do. If you would have asked me that 15 years ago, I probably would have said, no, Darren, I'm going to be sending out press releases for the rest of my life. But we've changed. I wanted to talk about your background for a minute because you have such an interesting background. You have a degree in broadcast journalism from Indiana University. And then after that, you went on to Indianapolis to start, create, and and host a television show. And a lot of this factors into what you're doing today, this, this background, this experience. I wanted to know if you could chat for a minute about what, what the show was about, what was the genesis of the idea, and did that ultimately evolve as well? And how did it ultimately lead you to work with the Humane Society, for example, and, and other governmental bodies and organizations that you ended up working with through that experience? Looking back at my career, I would say that those years were really 
I will always smile when I look back on those years because they were great experiences. And I was very fortunate coming out of school to be able to land the opportunity to have a weekly television show. And basically what we did, I'm a huge animal lover. I love animals. I love my pets. I, I believe in the bond between people and animals. And basically this was before, um, Animal Planet was really a thing. We did a 30-minute television show that traveled around the Midwest region covering different topics. And what I started to see was the response was so great. I did this show for a number of years, and the response was pretty amazing. And I thought, I can help make a difference here with this platform. So we started to do more shows that had really great impact. So we taped a series of shows in the Mansfield prison where the shelter dogs were um, being trained by serial killers, people with, you know, who were basically in there for life. But the bond that these individuals had with the dogs that they were training, I mean, it gave them a reason. It gave them something to do. And that was a really impactful show that I loved. But then I also dedicated um, 10 months to do an undercover investigation on dog fighting. And again, this was prior to Michael Vick. Not a lot of people in the general public knew about dog fighting. It was a very underground and it remains an underground, well, it's a blood sport, basically. And um, so we spent 10 months investigating this and the things that I saw during those 10 months from riding with police officers every evening from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. to, you know, going in and after a raid of a dogfight. I mean, those are moments that shape you. And what I saw, I knew that I needed to continue that. Uh, Despite my my dad pleading with me not to do it because he was so afraid that something bad was going to happen to his little girl, I just, I couldn't let it go. And I really wanted to bring that story to the community. And I'm glad that we did. I'm so grateful that we did because that led me, you know, we ended up winning um, national awards for it. And as a result, it got more and more exposure. And then basically the Humane Society of Indianapolis hired me to become a registered lobbyist. And I was able to lobby on behalf of animals for their rights. And that I feel like maybe when I look back at my career in another 20 or 30 years, you know, I think that one's going to have a a long lasting impact on me. It sounds like those communication skills that you learned in that in the television show and all of the roles that you played really helped you with your your business. And you ultimately ended up creating your business, Dickerson Creative Communications, and put yourself in a position as entrepreneur and business owner and leader. What made you want to try entrepreneurship? Were you inspired by someone? And what lessons did you have to learn to be an effective leader? It is different running your own business than say working for somebody else. Although in your role in television, it sounds like you were working very independently to some extent, even though you probably had a team helping you make the show a reality, you had a very lead role in that. So you probably were already primed for this, but what 
types of lessons did you have to still learn to be more, even more effective as a leader, to, to manage and run a team, to recruit the right people to your team? Were there any ups and downs and bumps in the road that you had to figure out early on as you created your business and, and got it going? Again, my dad. My dad is somebody who came home every night, talked to us about business, told us about relationships. And I think the biggest thing, one of the biggest things that I learned from all of that, and he and I still talk about this today, is how critical relationships are and how critical your reputation is within the industry. So whatever industry you are in, I am a firm believer that your relationship goes with you forever. And that is something that I have said to people that I have mentored now that always remember that your relationship is, that's the biggest thing that you will have in your career. So I think that, you know, kind of going back to that, when you look at starting as an entrepreneur, no, that's not something that I really ever expected to do. But again, That was something that my dad actually really encouraged me to do. He is somebody that um, is incredibly successful in business as far as, you know, relationships and having a career in an industry for over 50 years. And, you know, and he thought that I had that fire in me, I guess. Along the way, there have been so many lessons learned. I mean, honestly, if I were to sit down and tell somebody, hey, you're starting a business You know, some of the key things that I would probably say to them is in the beginning, you want to take every client that you possibly can because you want that income stream, you you want that revenue, you want you want that business and that logo on your website. What I learned is that's not always the right thing to do. Again, it's about pairing well with your client, what their needs are and what you are capable of doing. Also taking on more than you can possibly handle. And that's where I'm lucky because we have such a great team of people who, you know, between contractors and people who have worked with my company now for 10 years, um, we've got a good team. And I think building that team is something that is also critical in, in that because here again, not everybody's gonna be a good fit. And when you have someone managing people is that's something I really had to learn throughout the years. And I still think, you know, sometimes was that was that the right thing to say? Was that the right thing to do? I mean, managing people, I think, is one of the hardest parts, especially when you have a small team of people, because you become so involved with one another's life. And um, sometimes it's hard to take off the quote, boss hat and put on the quote, friend hat and, you know, the mentor hat. I think you wear a lot of different hats when you're doing that. Now, the um, the pandemic has affected everything, obviously, and it's affected all of our businesses, including yours and your clients. What are you seeing out there right now in terms of your clients? What are they, what types of services are they asking for? What types of adaptations are they making as you're working with them? I'm sure over the past few months, you've seen a lot of changes in terms of what you're offering, what they're asking for, what they need, what the mindset is that they have, whether it's in the beginning, maybe it was just survival. And now it's hopefully adapted to maybe even thriving in this environment. If you're in a position to do so, there there certainly will be businesses that thrive coming out of this that are able to pivot, that have the right business model. 
what are you seeing out there and, and what are they specifically in terms of their media relations and their marketing strategies? How are those changing? Well, I'll tell you, Darren, especially with my financial wealth clients, I've gone through all the compliance training. So I, I'm able to do digital marketing for financial wealth advisors. And in the beginning, let me tell you, the message was changing every day. I mean, typically I run off of a content calendar that, you, you know, I have an overview for the month and then we get kind of down into the nitty gritty. You might as well have just thrown that out the door for March, April, even a little bit into May, because, you know, are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? You know, how how everything was changing financially. From that perspective, the daily message was was being modified. And then trying to find the good, trying to find the good stories to share. Um, that became a real challenge because we didn't, I didn't want the voice to always be negative. I wanted to be able to find the positive stories, the good things that were starting to happen. We see a little bit more of that now in different industries, but from a media and marketing perspective, obviously we've been really, really busy with the messaging and how the messaging has had to change. But again, now we're starting to have you always have to have that strategy and you have to look ahead. With the events, what I'm seeing are obviously more virtual events. And again, trying to create things for nonprofits that still bring attention, awareness, fundraising. How do we still reach the people who would have been at our event September 3rd? How are we reaching out to them and making sure that even if they can't attend our Saver Pittsburgh on September 3rd, how can they still support McGee Women's Research Institute and Foundation? Because that need is still there. So those are the ways that we continue to evolve and continue to learn. I mean, we're learning right now. I think every business is learning. And you and I, you know, both have that you know, we've had that discussion that this is a learning curve for so many businesses. I'm curious how the pandemic is affecting you or how has it shaped you, not only professionally in your business with Dickerson Creative Communications, but also personally, you know, what have you gone through and what have your experiences been like over these past several months? You know, I'm a family person and my family is all now in South Carolina. They've been in South Carolina for many years. And the hardest part for me, honestly, is worrying about going to see my family. And that's hard. I mean, that is probably the hardest thing for me because, you know, my husband and I, we're active. We love to um, walk the dog. We love to go for bike rides. We love to kayak. So, you know, obviously we miss our friends and we miss seeing people. We miss going for a long time, not being able to go to the restaurants, etc. But looking at life and saying, oh my gosh, we now have to second guess driving down to South Carolina because we're worried that we could make someone else sick. Those are the things that I think personally have impacted me the most. Not being able to see my nephew as much as I would like. He's the light of my life. But, you know, thankfully, technology 
you know, we FaceTime, we, you know, we do all, we try to do everything to keep everyone safe. My dad has a very rare blood cancer. So this isn't something that I take lightly. So I'm very cautious. Now with your company, you have a virtual team, I believe. And so you're yes. in, a, in a way you're sort of set up perfectly for the pandemic, your business model being virtual. You have team members throughout the country and you're able to come together and, and coalesce on, on different projects. How has that business model worked to your advantage? Obviously, it probably has in this pandemic. But what are some of the pros and cons to managing a team in that way? You know, not everything is positive, though. So there's probably some drawbacks to doing things that way. But what, what have you experienced pro and con with that setup over the years? And how are you advising your clients today? You're right. I did have the advantage by having a home-based office. However, most weeks I would be in my car three days a week, bouncing from one meeting to another, doing event site visits, um, doing you know client brainstorming sessions, bringing people together for networking events, etc. So I missed that interaction, and th- it was bouncy. It was bumpy in the beginning for a lot of people that I worked with. Now I see everybody, it's like, no problem. They're, they're on it. They, you know, <laughs> it's just like this new way of doing business. And in some ways, I don't know if that's going to change too much. So just like right now, you and I looking at each other, talking to each other, it's like a normal conversation. But in the beginning, I could tell people who hadn't done a lot of the Zooms or hadn't done a lot of the team meetings. And um, but they've learned. We've all had to, you know, adjust a little bit. So it was interesting to see that. But I do miss the personal aspects of what we do. I mean, obviously, as a PR person, as a communications person, I got into this because I love working with people. So that distancing is a little bit challenging. Yeah, you have a type of business where it really you really feed off the energy of people. You're in a service-based business. and But it is amazing how we adapt so quickly as humans. It's one of the things that humans are good at is adapting. And we have adapted a great deal over the past several months, but like you, I also miss the interaction and the energy of yeah. uh, being in the same room with people, which is one of the reasons why I created this podcast and made it a local podcast is so that I could be face-to-face and in the same room and, and really meeting people that are managing and running all of the wonderful small businesses in our community. So hopefully one day we'll be able to do that again, but uh, I can totally understand where you're coming from with that. Yes. As we wrap up here, what parting advice would you like to leave for other small business owners and entrepreneurs? You're a seasoned business professional and business owner and entrepreneur at this point. You've been doing this for 15 years plus. Plus, you've accomplished a lot of other things in your career. You have a lot of perspective. You've done a lot of different things. You also work with clients, which is interesting because your clients, you have a B2B business. So your clients are small business owners and entrepreneurs. So you're really in a great position to help people. What lessons either have you learned or what wisdom would you share? What parting thoughts would you have for those that are out there, whether they're seasoned business owners themselves, like some of the clients that you work with, or whether they're new and they're just in the, just starting up now or just in the first few years of their businesses? I think what I try to do on a daily basis is look for the good. I mean, just in general, in my life, I try to look for the good um, because this has been a challenging time. And when I hear friends who own restaurants 
on the other end of the phone in tears or when I have other people in my world who have been laid off, whether they're from a Fortune 100 company or whether they're from a smaller business. I mean, it is a challenging time. And um, so I really, I can't make light of that. I can't say, well, you know, yes, I am fortunate, but you know what, Darren, marketing may change in 2021. And then what happens to, you know, my world? I mean, we are all, I really do believe we're all in a very similar environment. This is a very challenging time. And so I think that we have to make the most out of every day. We have to, you know, look for the good in every day. We have to enjoy the opportunities that we have. And I think we have to be really creative. I think that's a takeaway that I think most of us will say from a business perspective, we got really creative. It's a great place to leave it. Christina, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. And this has been a great conversation. And I thank you again for the opportunity. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do me and the Pittsburgh small business community a huge favor by giving it a rating on your favorite podcast app. It really helps others to find the show so that we can continue to build our community. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you know someone who should be on the podcast, or you'd like to connect with me, you can reach me at proprietorsofpittsburgh.com, thestartupshop.net, that's shop spelled S-H-O-P-P-E, or at 412-336-8247. I'm Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh Podcast. Take care.